Yeah, we are dependent upon you, Lord, as we sang this morning. It's your breath in our lungs. Whether people are grateful or not, whether they're thankful, whether they understand that their next breath and their next meal, their next good night's sleep, their next place of shelter, whatever it happens to be, God, is from your great hand of mercy. You who sustain the universe and you sustain our world and you show mercy uh, way beyond what we deserve. And, uh, Lord, we sang about that a little bit, and it's only really your children who get that when the lights come on and we recognize you were the innocent one put to death. We're the guilty ones who walk out free. It's just completely not right, except it is, because you've ordained it so that we can have forgiveness, we can have redemption, we can have life eternal, but not just that. Life abundant. Lord, we ask for your help today. We ask you to push back on our adversary who still, I believe, has a stronghold here. And I'm asking you to smash it to smithereens in the name of Jesus. Break through by your spirit. Help your people move forward and recognize that there is this profound working of your spirit available on our behalf. So today we commend our way to you. We thank you for every guest who's with us, anybody who's wondering about this thing called Jesus uh, followership. And um, may, may they encounter, as they rub shoulders with us, some of us who are in dead earnest about that and that they may be attracted to the one that we worship and give thanks to because he rescued us from the pit. I'm grateful, God, for the life that you've given us. I'm grateful for what you've done in my life um, and as uh, some of the early saints used to pray, I pray this for myself, and maybe my brothers and sisters would agree with me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Give us mercy today, and we'll thank you. In the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Uh, if you want to follow along what I'm uh, sharing today, and you want to make sure that I'm not making it up, because I'm not, it's in this book that's in the seat in front of you on page 1194, 1194, 1194. If you don't have your own Bible and know your way around it, you can use that, turn to 1194. Otherwise, open up to Titus chapter 2, if you would be so kind. And um, again, if you're visiting or you're new or you're wondering uh, what I was mentioning, we would be happy to explain to you why churches like this should exist. It's not why they always exist, but they should exist wherever they are, wherever you gather with them to maintain and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ's name and exalt it and help people to know that he is the only way of salvation in all the earth. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. That's not politically correct, but it is the truth. Oh, three people are really excited about that. Is Teddy here today? Well, he ruined everything then, because last week I got a question on my Hawkman version, which we're skipping over. Don't put that up, so we're all good, uh, about my paraphrase that I did. And he had a good question. We're going to save it for when he comes back. But let me just say this. I have always been one to uh, invite questions, because then I know I'm scratching where you have an itch. So uh, don't be bashful about that. 
And I get concerned about it because sometimes I think, and I'm just going to pick on a little category of people. You've been a Christian a long time? Anybody been a Christian for more like than more like 15 years or something like that? You can't be. You're not old enough to be. Well, yes, you are. Okay, so you know what happens? We start to think this. Yeah, I, I know all that. Right? I know all that. Surprise. No, you don't. So I love it when people are hungry and they express that kind of hunger. So I wanted just to encourage us that if you think that, because I know, I know there are people here today, they've been in this church a long time, they tune me out as soon as I start talking. I already know it all. So I just want you to take that to heart, all right? Seek out the Lord on that. Okay? Everybody all right with that? Oh, we're mad at him now. Okay, sorry. Told you, I'm not feeling very well. I don't know what's going to happen this morning, so you better fasten your seatbelt. Okay? Today's message, just say no. All right. Let me read the passage to you, if you would. Follow along with me. Verse 11 of chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, to everyone who is interested. To everyone who is interested instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds." Last verse of the chapter. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Huh. I'm going to have to save that verse for another time. We're going to have to come back to that because that has very profound implications when you think about it. And we started teaching in Titus because we wanted to introduce the reestablishment of elders and spiritual leadership in our church tonight. Our council meets for the first time. If you're one of those people invited, I can't wait. It'll be fun. Six o'clock in the boardroom. See you then. We're hoping to provide good, solid spiritual leadership for our congregation. That's a good thing. And Titus talks about what, what is involved in that, what's necessary for leaders, and what's necessary for congregations in response to their leaders. So we'll save that for another time. But my title today, Just Say No. Some of us have been around long enough to remember these days. I'm going to put a picture up here. Anybody remember her? Yeah, some kid came up to her on a visit somewhere and said, uh, this is Nancy Reagan for those of you who are in the, you know, 15 or below crowd. Um, Little child asked, what do I do when my friends ask me to smoke marijuana or use drugs? And she said, how easy can it get? Or is it? Yeah. Have we noticed that just saying no didn't work too well? We're in the midst of an epidemic, right, of drug misuse, abuse. And so uh, just saying no, not always so easy. But there is some truth in this in, in terms of what I make up my mind to do. There is some truth in it. So it doesn't work just to say, oh, well, just say no. But today I'm going to just say, just say no, okay? But I am going to flesh it out for us a little bit if I could. 
And where I want to begin is where I left off last time, I was talking about the standards of leadership. I was talking with Dr. Dennis Ashley. Everybody know who he is? He's our Bible teacher here at the school, and uh, he's been interim pastoring and doing uh, guest speaking. He's gone today, otherwise he would be here speaking elsewhere. I was chatting with him, and we were talking about the standards for eldership, for leadership, and he said what that is communicating as we were in agreement. I just want you to know he and I were in agreement, so he's right. Uh, That the standards for leadership are what we are to look at for our sake. Oh, that's okay. You know, pastors have to live that way. Thank God I don't. No, if you're a follower of Jesus, no, it's for all of us, right? So those are principles that are available for all of us to get worked into our lives. That's what he had in mind. So last week we were looking at the virtues. Remember the virtues? We could have looked at the negatives. I didn't take time with it. He's not to be a drunk or a striker, pugilistic. He's always looking for a fight, that kind of person. That's all negative. So I was turning to the positive and the virtues. Here's what we saw in chapter 1, verse 8. He must be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and self-controlled. I don't want to be redundant and go back over all of it, but those two words, sensible, sophron, that's the Greek word, and it's going to come out a whole bunch of times today. Sensible, orderly, sensible actually can be translated as the last word is translated. I have a, well, I have a little doohickey here. Yeah, this works. Here we go. There. That word is a borderline synonym with this. Self-controlled, sensible can be translated as self-control. One who has their passions or desires under control isn't out of control, if you will. That can apply to all kinds of things, not just drugs or alcohol or the big problem areas of our culture. Self-control involves my appetites. Self-control involves the use of my tongue. That's a big challenge, isn't it? Years ago, I chose to memorize. Don't put me to the test today because I'm not navigating on all thrusters. But um, I memorized the book of James. Anybody ever read the book of James? Third chapter, brutal, right? Brutal. If any man can control his tongue, he's perfect. (laughs) Anybody in the room? I I got that. Nobody does, really. But there are some people who are better at it than others. You know, if any man controls his tongue, he's that's a that's a form of self-control, of having saffron sensibility in my life. So we looked at that last week and talked about those those two words, that this is a quality that we look for in the life of the believer. And we also mentioned that when Paul was preaching the gospel and he had the opportunity to speak before kings and authorities, in one case he's speaking in front of um, a great leader, Felix, in the Roman world, and it says this, as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Did you catch that? Righteousness, there are standards of what God thinks is right. There's what people think is right, and then there's what God thinks is right. I think it's smarter to be aligned with what God thinks is right, because ultimately he's going to have the final say. Self-control, how do I become righteous? How do I get this into my life? Part of it, if it's manifested in my life, righteousness is imputed. We'll talk about that in a minute, but it's also experienced. 
self-control comes into the equation, and the judgment to come because they're connected. Receiving the gospel, receiving the righteousness of Christ as a gift, that's how you get squared away with the living God. You understand that? You don't earn it. Oh, if I get self-control in my life, then I'll be accepted by God. That's not how it works. You're accepted by God because you receive the righteousness of God, what he has provided for you by his death on the cross for your sins. So you receive that. And then he begins to work the fruit of the Spirit into your life. And by the way, we also referenced that last time. The last thing on the list of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That's part of the work of the Spirit in my life. And eventually, I'll answer for all that I've done in this world, including if I become a Christian, whether I've made use of that work of the Spirit in my life, and I will be rewarded accordingly. I won't lose my salvation, but I'll be rewarded accordingly. Right, class? Okay, I'm just checking. All right. So, that context was where we were last time talking about this manifestation of Christ working in my life in terms of sensibility, self-control, a change. So the virtues are one thing. The gospel is where it all begins. And look at what the gospel says here. For the grace of God, the passage we just read, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. And what does it say? It instructs us. Here's the gospel. It has appeared. How did it appear? Jesus came into the world, right? Died on the cross, was buried, raised again. He's gone back to sit at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for us. Can you imagine? I have to remind myself of that. On a Wake up, Hawko. Jesus is praying for you right now. And I'm not paying much attention. Anybody ever feel like that? You lose track of it, right? We lose track of it. Is he really for me? Yes, he is. And one day he's coming again. But historically, the grace of God, the gospel has already appeared, bringing the offer of salvation to all men. And here's what the gospel looks like in our shoe leather. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. The word worldly desires, desires, epithumia, means passions. Sometimes translated Old King James, lust. Ooh, what an ugly word. But lust isn't just about porn or something like that. Lust is all the passions we let get out of control, right? It's a word for passion um, that can be good or bad, but uh, more often than not in the New Testament, it's used on a negative inclination. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Let me read to you a retranslation of that from the scholar who wrote in the New International Critical New Testament Commentary, which, by the way, is one of the best if you're interested in knowing what your Bible says, uh, picking up some copies of that would be worth your while. Um, His name is Towner, Dr. Towner, and he's a lecturer at St. Andrew's University in Scotland. Here's how that line goes, the opening. The grace of God has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Here it comes. It teaches us to say no. (laughs) Wow. Because that's what it's saying. The gospel teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Isn't that great? Just say no. 
The only thing I would take away is the just, because it's not always so easy to just say no. Have you noticed that? Yeah, what? Say no. Say no. First line of defense. So here's what it is. Instructing us, it's the word pedeia, which from which we get pedagogy. When kids were raised in the Greek culture, there was somebody, usually a slave, who was like household manager, who would be in charge of the children, especially boys, and they would be trained, educated. They would be taken for classes and lessons and also taught moral values Slapped on the wrist when they did what was wrong. They were corrected. It's the way we raise children. It's what we should, once, did, whatever. That's part of what's involved. So it teaches, the gospel trains us to say no, to refuse what is wrong. And again, to be sensible, sophron, again, self-controlled, sophron, and live righteously. How do I say no? Well, there's a hint when Jesus started preaching the gospel. I love this. In the gospels, you'll read this, Matthew chapter 4. From that time, Jesus, this was after his... By the way, don't read it. It's kind of hard when it's up there, right? Like, sorry, that's my fault. Sorry, Ryan. This guy's so fast. Um, This was right after Jesus was tempted by the devil... And we read that, well, that's Jesus, it's not the same. Jesus resisted the enemy in the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that's available to you. So, oh, well, he was God. No, da, 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 da. He resisted. He said, no. The enemy came, do this for me and everything will be fine. No. If you go this way, you won't have to go through the cross. He said, no. Just Say no. So here's what Jesus says. At that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Metanoia. Some of you have been around long. You've heard that word before. It's the word for repent. So here's what it means. It's not complicated. It means I changed my mind. So I used to live up in my wife's hometown, Oneana, and made friends when I was interim pastor for three years. That was a long interim Yes, I was. I was an in. She usually straightens me out, but I got her on that one. Okay, so it's interim assistant pastor for three years alongside another brother. We had a wonderful time, made a lot of friends, and a lot of people there. There were some school teachers, and what they would do to make extra money was paint houses during the summer break. They have more patience than I do, that's for sure. So there's a story that went around, and I don't know if you, it, it got kind of famous, so I don't know if you heard this. There was a guy that was painting houses, and what he would do to save money is he would water down his paint so he could get more and save some bucks, and he painted the houses, and then like three months later, after a good rainstorm, it starts shedding off the side of the house. And this complication just came, and then it's like five customers had the same thing happen. And so they gathered together, and together they filed a lawsuit, and they had this guy pinned against the wall. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He finally decides to do what all human beings should do when they're in big trouble. He looks up and says, okay, God, what should I do? Get me out of this. And a voice came and said, repaint, you thinner. (laughs) 
That's really not a true story, just so you know. Repaint, you thinner. Because listen to what, what the definition of repentance is. You might think, oh, I got to run down to the altar. <laughs> you know what? I'd welcome a little of that because I think sometimes we need to. But that's not what repentance essentially is. I have a serious change of mind and heart about a previous point of view or course of behavior. To change one's mind. Yes, it can include feeling remorse or repenting, but it means to change my mind primarily. To perceive afterward, literally like the, the meaning behind it, to perceive afterward. You do something, you step aside, you know how you look from outside in and you go, what did I just do? And the light comes on, if you will. You recognize that you're wrong. So the last part of the definition, predominantly from a religious or ethical change in the way one thinks about actions. And so it can mean even conversion, because that's what conversion is. Unless you repent, become like little children and are converted, you will perish. That's what Jesus said. I change my mind. I used to think this was the I used to think the drug culture was the way to go, the free love culture was the way to go, which has saturated our world today. We don't even remember that that was a radical turn in our history that went sliding downward and now it's just normal. We think that's the right and all of a sudden, ah, I could have had a V8. You're not old enough. Anyway, hey, I could have had a V8. I turn around, I go, I was wrong. I need to go this way. I need to go the way God says is right. That's what metanoia, repentance, really is. Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is right next to you. Scripture goes on one more place in this passage in Titus. It says at the end of the passage in verse 14, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. He's in the process, and by the way, the, the, um, some of the imagery behind this comes out of the Old Testament, which, of course, Paul was a scholar. He had a Ph.D., what would be, in, uh, in Old Testament knowledge. And he's referencing the fact that in the Old Testament you had rituals to purify things and sanctify the tabernacle and all of that, and that this happens to us positionally when we're in Christ. He has, in fact, redeemed us from every lawless deed. He is, in fact, and has, in fact, purified for himself a people, set us apart, uh, covered us with the blood so that we're now clean and holy, right? And anointed us with the spirit, the oil that consecrated all those objects in the temple. He has done that for us. But here's what it tells us. He has this desire to have this special people. That's what we lose track of all the time. We forget who we belong to. We think we run our own life, we own our own life, we have total, absolute autonomy. You do. And you can miss out on the blessing of what he has in mind for us. People for his own possession. And where does this come? Zealous from good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. It comes from within. The Old Testament context, you had laws to follow. 
in the New Testament context, you have the spirit inside you and you fulfill what God had in mind in his word because it comes from the spirit. It comes from within zealous for good deeds, which means the process we're talking about of just saying no, embracing virtues and denying wrong desires Choosing to repent, to change your mind about it, is a process that actually gets that purifying demonstrated in my life. It starts to change me. I've been kind of a fanatic on this subject for five years. You know, a fanatic can't change his mind and he won't change the subject. And that's me. Because I'm called to be a shepherd. I've tried to do other things. I've tried other things. In the kingdom, I'm talking about a call to ministry. Maybe I'll do this. Every time God puts me back in the pastoral role, and as a shepherd, the thing that weighs on my heart continually is that my people are conformed to the image of the Son of God, that they look more like him. And so many churches don't look anything like him. We want to see that happen. To redeem us from lawlessness... What's lawlessness in the believer's life? Most of us aren't out stealing, although some of that might happen. Uh, you know, most of us probably aren't you know, regularly using illicit drugs or something like that, but some of that might be happening. That would be lawless, that's for sure. But for the believer, whose heart is to be like, have the virtues like the elder or our elder brother Jesus, think of all the things that we harbor or act out on in our lives. Gossip, inner lust, resentment that we harbor that becomes hatred, competition. There's none of that around here, is there? Competition. Hmm. Stubbornness. Control. It's got to be my way. Yeah, there are people who, I mean, it's amazing how, how easily we can disqualify ourselves from the privilege of walking in the spirit and being part of kingdom forward motion just because we have let those kind of things, those are lawlessness in the believer's life and we are not just saying no. By the way, the word purification, purify, to purify for himself is the word from which we get catharsis. Yeah. You ever have a catharsis moment? Get all cleaned up? Yeah, confession's good for the soul. Remember last week I mentioned this is the business of conforming us to the image of Jesus. Mel Lawrence wrote in his book, Spiritual Formation, it's the progressive. It's not instantaneous, okay? Some people get a radical turnaround. My conversion was radical. You know that. I've told you that before. I was not, oh boy, did I have a lot to learn. It was a radical turnaround, but I had plenty of progressive transformation ahead for my life. 45 years worth. I would think by now he should be done, don't you? I kind of wish he would be done, don't you? No, I mean, no, you're all saying, no, I hope he's not done with you, Pastor John, because you need a lot more work. It's the progressive patterning 
of a person's inner and outer life according to the image of Christ through intentional means of spiritual growth. You have to choose it. You have to choose to say no. You have to make up your mind that you want to do that, right? It's amazing how we make up our mind to do all kinds of other things. Just, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this trip. I'm going to buy this object. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. That's going to be my new hobby, whatever. We just, bam, boom, we go, whole hog. How come we can't do that? We can. We can. So that's spiritual formation. It is a, it's a progressive growing. And a long time ago, I did a little chart for you on the screen. Remember that little growth chart? You have your ups and downs. And I'm not showing that to you today. I've got to stay on target and get out on time. Let me say something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back now because at the end of last week's message... I had a brother come up and say, you left out the best part of the message. And I'm like, how do you know you didn't hear it? But anyway, because I didn't say it. But he was looking at the verses, and he was right. I had mentioned last week when I I talked about the normal Christian life, which is the title of um, a book by Watchman Nee, a brother in China, uh, lived early on through the 20s, 30s, 40s, all that, and uh, wrote this book called The Normal Christian Life and gave a little primer, if you will, how to live it, how to press into it. This metanoia thing, this I changed my mind, this saying no, this getting self-control into my life, not always as easy as it sounds. Understood. So I'm hoping that today what I might leave with you is just something a little bit helpful, if you'll lay hold of it, but it won't do you any good if you don't use it. Three little steps. The first one is critical. You have to decide that what you're struggling with really is wrong. I call this in counseling for 35 years or so, I used to call this problem sympathy. You know what I mean by sympathy? I've got an inner, ooh, you know, Lord, I really want to give this up. Mostly. You know, I, I want to stop looking at these dirty pictures. But they feel so good. Mm. Anybody relate? Well, I, yeah, it, it hap- it, boy, it doesn't matter which sex you are either today. It really doesn't. Whatever the issue is. But fill in the blank. My addictive behavior, my, my, my addiction to tobacco, wh- whatever it is. I, I really want to get, oh. And we know chemically even, like with certain things, there are, there are you know, things released in your, in your body that just add to the pressure, the physical pressure. of. You have to make up your mind, this is killing me, this is wrong. This is the path of death versus the path of life. You've got to make up your mind. And what do you do? When you finally make up your mind, that it's wrong, there's only one thing to do. Kill it. This is where we miss it. My awareness of five years at Harmony, I'm telling you, the idea of mortification. Anybody ever hear that word? That's an old word in theological terms. Mortification, the putting to death of your flesh is really not on most of our radar. And it's It's the normal Christian life, which explains why we're often not experiencing it. Mortification. 
So here's the verses that um, um, Watchman Nee had put. So three steps. If those of you want to write on your notes where you have a note place on the back, your bulletin at the very bottom, you should have enough room to decide it's really wrong, kill it. Stop that. Is that air conditioning coming on? That's weird. Huh? Or the heat? I don't know what it is. That's okay. We can ignore it. Turned off or AC? I have the word of authority right there. Just turned it off. Yeah, stop. Anyway, decide it's really wrong. Die to the sympathy. Kill it. You can do that through the power of the cross. And then the last step is I have to choose lordship so that I can rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So last week I had this uh, fill-in-blank, and Victor, I don't know if he's here today, he asked me, what, were the, what was the uh, fill-in there, the HT? I had HT, and I thought, boy, I couldn't remember. <laughs> it, was, it was either um, the holiness tradition, because different backgrounds, you know, there are different traditions within the Church of Jesus, and the holiness people, Wesleyan, some Methodist, stuff like that, they used to teach you could even get to the point where you don't want to sin at all, ever. As in sinless perfection. Which, by the way, if anyone's wondering if that's true, it's not. So, but you can get to where your general demeanor is, I am sold out to the lordship of Jesus. Whatever he says, I want to try to do it. Doesn't, but you're not going to be perfect, you're going to stumble. I found out that I stumbled even, like, yesterday. You understand? We all do, right? So we, there's no such thing as sinless perfection, this side of glory. But there is something that they bring to the table about mortification, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That does work and does help. So, or it could have been a help text, but the answer was simple. It was how to. How to. How do I move forward with this thing called metanoia? I changed my mind. So here are the three verses. Let me show you this. One, you've got to know this is true on your behalf. And this is in Romans, the sixth chapter. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. How hard is that, right? Now, there's two things going on here. One... There's a spiritual reality that happened at the cross. Do you realize that you were nailed to the cross with Jesus 2,000 years ago? Do you understand that? In terms of what he did for us, the legal transaction, we were buried with him, and we're going to look at that verse 2. We died with him. Historically, that has already happened. So in the spiritual realm, that reality is set. Now, what we have to get into us is that the body of our, our sinful inclinations, the flesh, those are the inclinations that are wired into our brain that go in the wrong direction, that those be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because the person who's died is freed. <laughs> you know what? Here's the picture. If there is someone who's gone, you go up and talk to them. If they respond, you faint. The point is, 
If my old man is dead, it is in the sight of God, but I've got to apply it. If I consider myself to be dead, there's no response when sin comes up and tempts me. Someone comes up to my casket and says, don't you want to just get that guy one more time? No response. Because I'm dead. Which leads right into the next one. A little further on in the chapter. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead. This is called the cowboy verse. I learned this 45 years ago. Because in the King James it says, reckon yourself. (laughs) Even so, reckon yourselves dead. That's right. It's the cowboy verse. Consider yourselves, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. Make a choice. Just say no. I'm dead to that, and I'm alive to God. When Watchman Nee taught it, he said, first you have to know. You have to know that this is real, that what happened on the cross applies to you, that it really works. Number one, you've got to know it. That's why God reveals so much to us, so that we know it. Because the Word of God is power in our lives, is it not? The sword of the Spirit. We're not, we're not fighting anybody because we don't even know we're already knocked down and trampled by the enemy. And by sin. We don't even see it. Knowing this, our old self was crucified. Next, consider yourself. Reckon. There's got to be a reckoning, a choice. Consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, one more thing you have to present. That's what Watchman Nee says, but I think they're all interrelated. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Here's what we should do. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Somewhere else in Romans, he says, right? Chapter 12. Have this, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Remember, the same idea. One, know what Jesus already did for you. It's settled. Number two, reckon yourself. Just say no. Choose to die to that old habit. I'm dealing with a a family member where I'm continually, continually having to coach them. Die. I don't mean physically, obviously. Oh, they're talking about me over here. They're saying this. They're saying, just die. If you die, it doesn't matter what they're saying because you're in the casket. They can be screaming in your ear. We're gossiping all over town about you. Who cares? I'm dead. Reckon yourselves dead already to sin and alive to God. And then present your body, present your life available for the use of God. That's why we're here. We're not our own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your Bible. You know, you're all laughing, but right? We're so freaking worried about what everybody else thinks. They got it wrong. That is the one who has it right. That's the only one. And when you're dead, you can respond to that the right way. God, all that matters is what? You know who's one of my heroes? Um, Mr. Darcy. 
in um, Pride and Prejudice. Remember Mr. Darcy? I love him. Me too. And nothing odd, just I love him, you know. And uh, here's why. All through the, if you haven't seen it, you really ought to get out. I'll even pay your ticket to go. No, you can get it on DVD or stream it or whatever. But uh, Pride and Prejudice, he's totally misjudged. People are talking about him, trashing him. He's such a creep. In fact, the chick who ends up falling in love with him is trashing him. And he keeps his mouth shut. He just looks like this sad and tragic figure because probably he's thinking about how alive to sin all you jerks are. But anyway, he keeps his mouth shut the whole time. And then at the end, you find out he's the hero. Just die. Die, 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 die. And then present. And here's the last one. Kind of circles back. Romans chapter 6, 4. We always teach this during baptism classes. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might what? What does it say, class? You can read. Walk in newness of life. How do I walk in the... That's what Watchman he was saying at the end. By the way, it doesn't matter what he says. It's what the scripture says. We can walk in newness of life because I recognize what God did for me on the cross. That settles it. That's how I walk. Uh, If I can walk with the Lord and walk in freedom, it's because I know that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from everything I come clean about. So it doesn't matter what it is, up to this moment, if I come clean with God, I'm free to keep going. I'm free. My conscience is clear. I make sure I'm still dead, because once in a while I do try to climb out of that casket, i got to tell you. It does happen on occasion. I put it back to death. And then I reckon myself dead to sin, alive to God. Here's my body, here's my life available. Whatever you want to do with me, I'll do it. Which, by the way, I'm just going to be blunt. I think that's normal Christianity. Yes, Lord. What's the question? Yes, Lord. What's it? What do you want me to do? He's not going to ask you to walk on water unless he gives you the miraculous power of walking on water. Isn't that cool? You don't have to pull that off today. I know you were worried about that, right? So we always we're always borrowing trouble. All he's going to ask me to do is going. Take the first step. Reckon what God has done for you. You're dead in Christ. Claim it. Consider yourself dead to sin, alive to God. Present yourself available to God and then walk in newness of life. That's the simple Holy Spirit-filled life that is your birthright as a child of God. It's your birthright. When you're walking in the Spirit, there's these weird things that happen like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, goodness. Oh, self-control. There we are again. Such a fanatic. We too might walk in newness of life. That's what he had in mind. I remember a story about a missionary. I'm going to close here in a minute. They went to a, a foreign land that had a very violent people that they were trying to reach. And people said, why are you going there? Don't, don't you recognize that you're here? You may get killed trying to reach this people. And the missionary's response was, we died before we left. 
there are promises to claim. These are promises. These, these are jewels of power available for the saint. But how do we walk in this world? As believers, we walk by faith and not by sight. They're claimed by faith. They're not claimed by laying down, not acting, not pressing in and expecting God to quicken something into your life. Claim your promises that you're dead and alive. Both of those are promises available for you. We walk by faith and not by sight. Let me give an example, and I don't know if this will be helpful or not. Kind of on a different subject, but all through my experience as a, as a believer in Jesus since 1971, there have been different portions of the scripture, and maybe you've experienced some of this, that the Holy Spirit grabs something and shoves it right in your face. You know what I mean? And you go, and you know God is speaking to you. He's telling you either to fix something or he's telling you, I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to be on your team. So this is going to sound a little odd. Years ago, I was out in Tucson, Arizona, pastoring, and I was encountering a number of people with some demonic bondages in their lives I mean, that were clearly manifesting. They're all around us, by the way, but we just keep it all civilized so we don't always see what's going on. But in this case, we were praying with this person who had allowed themselves, even though a professing believer, and I think was a believer, had really sought out some of the more occult and weird religious stuff that was going on in the country back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, as we were praying together, all of a sudden that person started to fade out and a different person started to manifest. No, 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 as I was praying, thank you, Jesus, that you have died on our behalf, you've been raised from the dead, that you're seated in the heavenlies, that your foot has crushed the head of Satan and all these other truths... This person went, nah, grabbed this glass ashtray, threw it at me, and I caught it in my hip. And later God freed her up and things went well, but I went home with a very thoughtful mind. No more glass ashtrays in the room. That was almost it. And what was in my mind was, I know I'm not the best-looking guy, so if you want to rearrange my face, that's okay. But if there's a way to avoid that, I would really appreciate it, Lord. In other words, that made me nervous. The Lord led me to Psalm 91, and I understand that Psalm 91 is primarily a promise to the Messiah, but there's a great line in that, and you're all wondering, what's Psalm 91? He shall give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against the stone. The young lion and the adder, the cobra, will attack, but you'll trample them down. It's, it's all in there. I read that, and I went, whoa, and the spirit quickened me. And I said, okay, God, I believe angelic ministers are available to us. I'm asking you to put some on duty so I don't get my face rearranged or killed or anything else. And you know what? I had multiple experiences like that later where the person was literally held in their chair and could not move. God quickened that to me, and I chose to own it. And there are promises like we talked about today that he wants you to own. It's up to you, though. By faith, by faith, we lay hold of the promises, and you can as well. I'm going to ask us to pray. I'm going to ask that you stand as we close.
And if you want to learn how to just say no, I want to encourage you to put a stake in the ground, claim it by faith, and uh, get somebody up here to pray with you. We have elders available. I'm available. We'd love to help you on your journey. If you don't know what it means to know Jesus, we'll help you with that as well. Let's pray together. I want to thank you, God, for strengthening me for this morning. I don't know where everyone else is at today, whether they've got major hurdles and concerns on their mind, but I'm praying that they would see that you love and care about them. And you've been trying to pursue them like the song that we sang. Sometimes you're pursuing us and we're running as fast as we can the other direction. But Lord, I know that there are people probably tired of running. And I pray that they would let you catch up to them tackle them, heal them, do a work in them. And for my brothers and sisters here at Harmony, Lord, we want to see an expansion of the normal Christian life, the walking in the Spirit, the walk of transformation that we so desperately need. We need, Lord, your Holy Spirit to continue to strive with us. Well, thank you, God. Remind everyone who made a commitment to pray for a visitation of your Spirit to continue to knock on your door because you said knock and it'll be opened. I'm praying that they would knock, that we would knock, and that you would open, Lord Jesus. Help us today, we pray. Put your angels around my people. Keep them safe in this week. In the great name of Jesus, I pray for your help today. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Feel free to come up and pray if you need to.